Who do you turn to for advice? Sometimes your best friend's brother's cousin's aunt just isn't good enough. What then? Ask Sarah. In the same tradition of Dear Abby, Sarah is a gently blunt, practical, and wise advisor who brings with her a wealth of personal and professional knowledge coupled with gentle humor. Sarah offers inspiration and advice to help you live more fully and powerfully in your own life. Tune in every day to connect with the information and ideas you need to hear. Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Sarah Says. And today I'm pretty excited to be able to make every attempt to interview Lisa Harrington, who's the author of Taking in Strays, Leadership Lessons from Unexpected Places. Sadly, we've been struggling with some technical things this morning, so if y'all will just bear with me. Uh, Lisa, can you hear me? I can. Oh, shut up. I can hear you. <laughs> I am so excited. This is great. I Most know. I swear, I swear to you for the last 10 minutes, Lisa and I have been going, hello, hello, hello. So <laughs> I, I, got, I got nothing, Lisa, but you know what? We stuck it out, and here we are. This is great. And here we are. <laughs> Speaking of unexpected places, uh, well, uh-huh. first I have to tell you, Lisa and I have known each other for several years. We've had the delight to um, collaborate together on some adventures that uh, uh, just helped us get to know one another better. And Lisa published a book a few years ago, and it was uh, it it was just one of those books where I was like, what? You're going to talk about what from what? And so uh, she's, it's a great book, and it's got some really powerful messages in it. And the truth of the story, the truth of the matter is, folks, these lessons are, you know, we all love our, our pets. And I think we all are better people when uh, we are able to connect. And I have to confess, Lisa, years and years ago, I was not a pet person. I was the kind of a parent who tolerated pets because that's what my kids wanted. But I just didn't, I don't know. I, I don't know what it was. And something clicked in me a few years ago. And uh, I get it now. I, I get it when people <laughs> say they, they love their dog or cat or fish or whatever. And mm-hmm. so if Sarah. Just lost you. Sarah. Sarah. This might be me. Hello?
This might be me. Well, I have to tell you folks, I can't make it up, but Here we I'm are. glad to be back. Hello. Here Lisa. we are. <laughs> Let's try this again. You know yeah. what? I got to tell you, we are nothing if not persistent. That's what that's I love right. about That's it. right. That's hey, right. Hey, that's one of the stories in my book, Persistence. Funny. <laughs> well, considering the amount of technology it takes to put on a digital radio show, sometimes you just got to roll with it. Got to roll. I am nothing if not flexible. So as I believe I was saying before we were so rudely interrupted, um, <laughs> if you would take a moment and help folks know a little bit more about you and then what brought you to the point where you wrote the book. Okay. Uh, okay, I can do that. I, I've been in business and management my whole career. And uh, for a little while, right before I took the job with ERMI, which is my current gig, I'm the Chief Marketing Officer and Executive Vice President for the International Risk Management Institute. We're a publishing company, but we only publish insurance technical manuals, and we do conferences around the insurance space. But one of the reasons I was attracted to come to ERMI is I've been in insurance for a very long time, and I always wanted to write a book. And so a few years ago, kind of in between when I was consulting and working with um, the place we met at and doing some uh, speaking around the country, I attended a class from the National Speakers Association, and a very lovely lady named Sam Horn was speaking. And she said, you know, if you're going to be a speaker, you need to have a book. The book helps you sort of ground yourself in all this. And she said, do what you know. Write about what you know. Your first book should always be very comfortable and familiar, and I would give that advice to anyone because it worked for me. And uh, she said, draw a picture of the cover of your book, just just a rough thing, and hang it on your refrigerator so you see it every day and it's constantly working your subconscious. Well, I know leadership and management. It's, I have a management degree. Uh, I've been in management for most of my career, and I have loved animals since I was a small child. At one point, uh, my husband and I in Tallahassee had five acres. We had two horses. We had three birds in, you know, cockatiels in cages. We had six dogs and six cats. One of the dogs was a foster. So we are very comfortable and familiar with animals. And so I started connecting from that conversation from the Speakers Association, the, the animals and the leadership lessons that I always wanted to teach, and uh, it just kind of went from there. You know, I don't think you missed a, a, a pet. It seems like you had just pretty much everything, didn't you, when it came to I, the animals that you had? <laughs> yeah. Birds, you cats, need dogs, fish horses. A, yeah, you need haven't a fish had a fish. You haven't a had a spider, fish. I've right? never owned a reptile. Yeah. I never, I never yeah. had a reptile. Uh, we did have a pet spider friends. named Fred that lived in the bathtub one time. Um, oh, <laughs> not for long, I'll bet. <laughs> not for long. <laughs> no. Shortest resident. Um, but you know, Ever, I have yeah. to say, yeah, I have to say, one of the things that. Uh, it resonated so much with me about your book was just the, I hate to say nitty gritty, but it's just, it's, it's just so basic, but, but so often overlooked some of the lessons. So first of all, let's start with one of the, the biggest things that you talk about in the book, and that's about building trust. Would you expand on some mm -hmm. of the stories mm -hmm. that, that uh, helped you really solidify that concept? Absolutely. Um, I thought, I think of trust when I think of my little dog, Abigail, we called her Abby. She came to us because of a series of events. 
And I think building trust, well, I think with animals, you, you have to learn to build their trust. And you can transfer a lot of those lessons. And in Abby's case, it's all about the consequences. And sometimes it's the unintended consequences that, uh, that can get you in trouble as a leader. So uh, Abby, the example from Abby's life story is that we got her after we were trying to rescue some little birds. We ended up at a place that had some dogs, and we needed a new companion for one of the dogs, and we found Abby. But we knew Abby had been badly abused, and uh, she wouldn't go up and down the stairs. The veterinarian that, that got her to us thinks that maybe she you know, had been thrown down sets of stairs at some point. I don't know what people are thinking when they do those things, but... Her, her, she had to be trained to go back up and down those stairs, and we would carry her up our, to our second story and then down again, you know, just, just shaking and shivering and fearful, and eventually she learned that in our house, the stairs were okay and that no one was going to, you know, throw her down there, but, but it always made me wonder about the unintended consequences if we had, let's say, tripped and fallen down the stairs when Abby was in our arms, and um, there's lots and lots about trust, and we'll talk about more than just Abigail. But one of the things that we do is unintentionally break the trust of our charges, whether it's our employees or our friends or our family, because we do something and we didn't mean the consequence. We say something uh, off the cuff or casual. We, we leave behind something where we've written something that we didn't mean, or even just the simple story about one of my bosses who would – just for no reason at all, sometimes come in the back door of the building and go straight to his office. And it was unlike him. He would walk through the building usually and say, good morning, and how are you, and visit with his folks. Well, um, when there's a vacuum, people will fill it. And after he did that a few times, a couple of weeks in a row, people started talking about how there must be something wrong in the office. Something must be going on because he doesn't come to the office and say good morning anymore. So I was... I was able to go ask him about it, and he said, oh, no, I just I had things to carry in, so I parked my car around back. Well, <laughs> these folks, he unintentionally had the consequence of making people worry that there was something wrong in the business. And I think we do that all the time. We don't think about every minute people are watching us because we're the leaders. And we don't get to have the the bad day per se. You know, we, we need to close the door and do that with a trusted friend or something because they watch us all the time for the example. And those unintended consequences, I think, can buy this. So that, that's a short story about Abby and those uh, that part of building trust. <laughs> well, and doesn't and, – and actually, if we think about it, everybody comes to the table in the work environment, or most of the time we think of leadership in terms of how it plays out in work, but I think also in our community projects and our, mm-hmm. our yep. uh, faith-based service. And even in our own families, you know, everybody comes to the table with baggage. Everybody comes to the mm-hmm. table with unspoken expectations, even if you mm-hmm. don't want to or intend to. So I think that's a really good point. And would you agree, I mean, when we think about the, the lesson from the the dog was that the dog came to you with this, this preconceived notion of how things, yeah, baggage, preconceived notion yeah. of that's a bad thing. and. Sometimes, too, we could probably also learn from the point of view was that the leadership lesson from the other end is when you go to a new place, you need to observe. And as you say, over time, Abigail recognized mm-hmm. that the stairs, you weren't, we have a dog who, we rescued all of our dogs, and we have a dog who's afraid of feet. 
because she was kicked. He was Somebody kicked. kicked her. Mm-hmm. Somebody mm-hmm. kicked her. Well, now he's learned and he likes our feet now. So, I mean, it took mm-hmm. him time. But So the other lesson, I mean, I don't want to, uh, certainly you and I could talk all day about a pencil, but what we, we mm-hmm. need to stick. Uh, <laughs> the thing I'd love to chat about next is um, when we talk about results, I mean, when we talk about how can we become better leaders, one of the things you talked about was staying off the pedestal. And I have to hear the the story, <laughs> the pet story that comes from that. And then how does that yeah. translate to our real life? Well, uh, there are two stories I can tell about that. One of them is about Zeke. Um, he's uh, He was a little German Shepherd mix that – he was so cool because even when he grew up to full size, he still looked like a German Shepherd puppy. And he didn't know he was 60 pounds. He didn't know that we, uh, you know, didn't need a lap dog that was 60 pounds. He always <laughs> wanted to be. <laughs> and I know he, he was just, he never saw us as unapproachable. And he, he wanted to be close and stay close to us. He was always right by us. And there's a, there's this concept of uh, that I like to say is, you know, stay off the pedestal. Let people stay close to you. Let your charges, the people that you're in, in, managing, even the people above you. I, I don't subscribe, I guess, to this theory that you can't be friends with people at work. I think you can be friends at work with people at work. And as a leader, we do have to be careful. We, we can't cross those special lines that are drawn in between leaders and, and employees. But you can get close enough come off your pedestal enough that they know a little about you. And the way that I have learned to do this that seems to work for me is I tell my own stories and I hope that that helps them trust that they can tell their stories. Um, it's, it's easy to become, you know, the suit, the person that is not approachable because you're too busy or you're too important or you're always in meetings with somebody above you. Or, and, and I don't think you communicate well when you behave that way. And again, that could be unintentional. You may not mean to be doing that. Another story that's kind of cool that kind of goes with this is when a, one of our pastors at a church we used to go to went on a trip in a third world country with the students, the, the youth group. And when they came back, they were talking about the event. And one of the kids um, looked at us and said, you know, the best thing I learned was that the pastor is a person. And, nice. <laughs> you know, because nice. he had to be dirty and take cold showers and row the boat up the river to get where they were going. And it was just an interesting uh, way to look at it that we get on these pedestals and we don't even know we're up there. Well, but let's be honest. I mean, most of the time when someone wants to be a leader, we're looking for, uh, you know, we think what I thought prior to becoming a leader was there were accolades involved and that the work (laughs) was easier and that you had people (laughs) People just would be lined up to help you and follow you and support you and blah, blah, blah. So people have a misconception from the get-go of what leadership actually is. I agree. What I believe mm-hmm. true leadership is. And so I think your point is well made that part of being a good leader is that you're not up on the pedestal, that you're down in the trenches, so to speak, doing the things, mm-hmm. doing anything that you would be asking your folks to do. So that's a good one. I well, like the best that. coach, the best coach in a sports team carries the water if that's what's needed. Mm-hmm. If you think of it that way. So Yeah, I like that. So um, one of the other things that I thought was an interesting topic to derive from the foster uh, or for the work that you've had with, done with dogs was, was nurturing. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, of course, we all snuggle with our pups. But tell me the story of how nurturing became one of those leadership lessons that uh, you became aware of through the work that you did. Well, I had a – this is a cat story, actually. The cat's name is Lucy, and um saw her at the end of the street – at the end of our road and picked her up thinking she was one of my black cats because I had three. Well, I had two at the time. Now, and then I kept Lucy and I had three. And we got her home and realized she was pregnant and wanted to help her out. So she's this cat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hello. New. <laughs> I had 11 kittens, 11 kittens, which is crazy. And even the vet I used didn't ever know of a cat that had had 11 kittens. All of them survived because we hand fed several of them. And because Lucy was an amazing, nurturing kind of mother. Well, at the same time I was raising these kittens and getting them ready to find them homes, although I, of course, kept one, um, and I kept Lucy, uh, of course. But uh, one of the things that I that I was studying at the time and was actually one of the hot topics of the day was this whole thing about generations. And I agree with most of what's out there about, you know, Generation X and Y and boomers and all of that. I, I've read it. I subscribe to most of it. But the thing that seems to keep coming to mind, at least for me, is that no matter which generation someone comes from, there are a couple of basic things that they need, no matter what age they are, no matter where they come from. In fact, no matter who they are, if they're human, any any kind of human, <laughs> they need nurture. <laughs> and they need different kinds of nurture at different times in their life, you know. Um, oh, I hadn't thought of it that way. And in, in the end, we're all just humans, you know, and, and I think that's a major part of, in fact, the opening of my book talks about speed versus human nature and, and how we forget that even though technology is going faster and faster, humans only evolve at a certain rate and and we don't see it in one lifetime. So I have put together some um, some thoughts about what kind of nurture that is and why kindness, just basic, simple human kindness is so important in the workplace. Boy, we forget it. There's a lot of backstabbing and stuff that happens, and and that's not good. It doesn't help anyone. And recently I actually um, also thought more and more about Maslow's pyramid. I'm sure you know Maslow, and he talks about how at the bottom of the pyramid is, you know, breathing. (laughs) That's the first thing you need and what you need immediately and then water and food and shelter and sex and belonging and community and housing. And, and then it moves up to esteem and self-actualization. And I think I would like to sort of restart the conversation about Maslow and basic kindness because it's more universal and worrying about which generation needs what sometimes leaves others feeling excluded. We've we've had that uh, in a couple of places I've worked where we're so focused on the young people or the the Ys and the Xs that, you know, the boomers start to feel left out. So, and they're very important to us. So, that's that's sort of the message around that. Um, and Lucy was just a great example of no matter which kitten it was, she was universally nurturing and kind and took really good care of her babies to her own demise. Uh, several years later, she got the cat equivalent of breast cancer. And um, it was because she had, yeah, her, her body had been overworked by all those kittens, even though we hand fed several of them. And uh, she didn't, she probably didn't live about six years after those kittens. Wonderful six years. We loved her, but you get used to that. animals. They never live as long as we do. Yeah. That's the sacrifice. I think that comes Uh with uh um, 
pouring yourself out like that. So one of the things that uh, I wanted to touch on briefly was your comment in one of the emails that we had shot back and forth. You you made a comment about uh, acceptance, but it wasn't, uh, you know, your, your, your narrative after that was a bit surprising to me. It wasn't the, what I would have expected to follow acceptance. What you were talking about is not, not everybody wants what you want, which is, absolutely Mm -hmm. mind-boggling to me what do you Mm -hmm. mean everybody doesn't want what i want lisa Mm -hmm. (laughs) well i mean that (laughs) rewards should fit the person Uh, there's a lot of talk about how to properly reward and a lot of laws around how you pay people for example and uh, some people only want money and and it's an easy measure it's really easy to say we're going to pay each person within 10% 10% of a certain range, or we're going to pay everybody 10% more than market, or we're going to give everybody a profit-sharing bonus. And people like money. I'm not dispelling that. But sometimes, if you're a single mom, what you need is half a day off to go get ready for your kid's birthday party, and that extra time is more important to you. Or maybe um, you're a family that uh, has kids with <laughs> – we had this in Florida all the time. All of the schools had different vacation time so it was impossible for a family of five with three children to ever go on vacation together because the schools wouldn't align their vacations and they could never travel except in the summer so like christmas was different spring break was different sometimes it's about time sometimes it's about a date night and having enough money for a babysitter or movie tickets and popcorn so you can pay the babysitter Uh, there's a really famous cosmetics company that has a catalog full of jewelry and luggage and cars they give away instead of cash money so the the thing is not to get into a box. The other piece about acceptance, though, I don't know if I told you this part, but I'll mention it, is uh, accepting their opinions. Sometimes you, as a leader, you can be in the meeting and you can be listening to all these ideas and trying to solve a problem, say, and somebody might come up with an answer to the problem that is not the one you would use. But I think we have to accept that everybody doesn't have to do everything the same way we do either. As long as the problem is solved, let them be creative. Accept that they're going to solve things differently than you do. And sometimes you come up with more and better ideas. Yes, and I think that uh, emerging leaders probably struggle with that concept of acceptance more than others because I think a a big misnomer is that we have to, as leaders, always have the right idea, the best idea, the idea that Mm -hmm. gets used. and many times, and particularly there's a couple boards that I sit on, one of which I lead, and I have to tell you, sometimes I have to just sit back and say, okay, if I want, if mm-hmm. you want engagement from the people you're leading, then sometimes mm-hmm. you just have to shut up and let them, you know, solve a problem. And it wouldn't be, as you exactly. said, right? you would do it. But it's acceptance. And would you not also agree sometimes, and this probably doesn't, that I can imagine have a correlation in the animal world, but we can accept what someone is saying or without agreeing. I mean, we can acknowledge, Hey Lisa, Mm -hmm. I hear what you're saying. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we get confused that if I acknowledge it, that that somehow that means I'm embracing it. I, yes, I do agree with that. I think uh, accepting and let's call it respecting the person having Mm -hmm. a different opinion than you is really important in leadership. Um, I got to this because of a horse named Kendall Rose. I had adopted her. She had been abandoned at a 
<clears throat> at a barn that a friend of mine and I would go to for riding. And um, twice in the, gosh, 15 or so years that I owned her, I sent her away because I thought she was unhappy because I was unhappy. It was I wasn't able to ride anymore because I had many knee surgeries. And, and I just assumed that this horse would rather be active and working and uh, sent her away to a, a family once that had a bunch of kids and needed another horse and she didn't do well and lost weight and they brought her back. And, and then years later I sent her away to a, a place where the d- disabled children could get on the horse. And sometimes that's very, it's a very healthy thing for those kids sometimes to do. And uh, same thing, she lost weight. She didn't want to participate, brought her home. She was fine. She just wanted to be at home. So that's the third piece of acceptance. We think sometimes people want to, go where we're going in terms of the career. And I've had, in every job I've had as a manager, I've had someone in the room who said, you know, I'm happy and I don't really want to move up or over or out. Just let me do this for the next 20 years, whatever it is. And it's hard to imagine that because I've been so ambitious, but some people are just happy with what they have. And I had to learn that with Kendall Rose and I've had to learn it with employees. And that's another piece to the acceptance story. I love that. And I think it's true that, again, back to not everybody wants what we want. Mm-hmm. So before we wrap up the show, I want to spend just a, a little bit of time on my favorite topic is fearlessness. And you talk about how becoming <laughs> fearless is only possible with trust. And I, I would very much like for you to elaborate on that. Well, I had a eight-inch long from tip to tail cockatiel who was fearless we called him napoleon because he ran around our house like it was his property he would come out of the cage you know we let him out of the cage and just run around and didn't know that he could be crushed by anyone's foot going by or anything he was very um just fearless and he liked to explore and there's there's several things there first of all i think you have to be in a situation where you feel safe and where everyone trusts you before they can explore and be fearless. If they're worried every time about making a mistake or saying the wrong thing, they're going to be overly cautious. And I, I, I do ascribe to the theory that if you're not making some mistakes, you're doing it wrong. You've got to take some risk and move out and uh, try things. And if they don't work, you stop and you start over. But be, too much cautiousness is too slow these days. So um, Napoleon sort of taught me that. You just got to keep going and keep moving forward. It also, uh, taking those risks and being creative and doing different things keeps your brains firing, keeps you healthy mentally. And if we can express that to our charges, if we can say we care about you, we want you to be growing as a person, even if there isn't a position to move up to or you don't want to, uh, we're going to keep you growing as a person. We're going to send you to any <clears throat> training or coursework you want. We're going to try to keep your brains balanced. We're going to let you do creative work in addition to whatever the linear thing is that you know most businesses have to do. Even to the point of um, I've offered classes in artwork, art, go to the theater, be in a play, go, go do something for salespeople especially. I love to send them out to uh, be in a, a play or a show, it helps them learn to think on their feet uh, better than anything else. The Toastmasters is great for that. But even if a person just knows that you care enough about them to let them grow as a human, as a human being, and they can trust that you are looking out for their best interest, and when they can do that, when they can be safe in the way they 
feel at, at your office, then they can maybe step out and take a little more risk and maybe come up with some idea that makes all the difference for your business. Now, I have to elaborate on that with a non-pet story. I can't tell you how often I go into companies that I'm offering training to, providing training to, and I see the leadership say, we want people to take initiative. We want them to think outside the box. We want them to blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And yet the very people that they want to do that are criticized, critiqued, pushback mm-hmm. and not positive. Mm-hmm. I mean, we won't push back, but it, it uh, I can't, I can't elaborate to the nth degree that I would like to, but essentially when they try, when the initiative is taken, it's punished. And I know you yes, see that. That happens all the time. It happens all the time. And it, and it's not even, again, we go back circle right back, perfect uh, circle back to the beginning. Sometimes it's unintended consequences uh, you criticize, you know, a single word somebody used, or you criticize the solution because it wasn't the way you do it, but you still got the solution, or, you know, they went a different direction you would, but they still got there, and, and then they get scared, and it, it's, it, everybody doesn't mean to do that, they just think once they get in that leadership spot, they have to know everything and do it their way, and I just, I just encourage folks to realize there's always, always more than one way to handle a situation, and you can sit back and listen. The other thing, real quick, before we end, I know we need to end soon. Uh, in a meeting, be the last to speak if you're a leader. I learned that from uh, my boss here at Ermi, and um, and it's a powerful tool. If you wait to say your opinion, you'll hear things that they would never say. Um, if it's contradictory to what you've already said, it won't come out. But if you wait to speak, everything comes out on the table, and then you can go from there. I adore that. I adore that. That is like great advice. Wait, wait to speak. Be the last to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to tell you, I found a little meme that uh, I will post up on the uh, social media, and it's uh, dog lessons for people. And I thought you would enjoy a couple of these. Oh, the first yeah, one I is will. Uh, always drink plenty of water. Uh, keep digging until you find what you want, and avoid uh-huh. bite. Avoid biting when a growl will do. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) That's perfect. So I will definitely post that. I know that people are going to want to get their hands on this book. Uh, If you would let, where can they find it? Well, I have a website, takinginstrays.com, and we can get it there or we can get it uh, at Amazon. And it's in an e-reader format at Amazon or in a hard copy either at either of those websites. It's Taking in Strays, Unusual Lessons from Unexpected Places, Leadership Lessons from Unexpected Places, sorry. So, and, that's, and they go takinginstrays.com is where they would find that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Outstanding. Lisa, I can't tell you how much. First of all, how much I appreciate you slogging through the techno uh, challenge this morning. So I'm going to send you a a little award for that, Uh, but also for making time to share uh, the the lessons and the inspiration and the the message of your book. I really do appreciate that. I'm pleased to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Folks, we also appreciate you for joining us today with uh, Lisa Harrington, author of Taking in Strays, Leadership Lessons from Unexpected Places. As a reminder, you can get your hands on her book by visiting takinginstrays.com. 
And uh, I just can't encourage you enough to check that book out. It's, got, it's just chock full of uh, great lessons that you can apply in your life as a leader or as an emerging leader. And I want to just remind you that uh, this show is designed to provide you with the information and resources you need to live your best life, your most powerful and productive life. And so if you have ideas for guests or topics, please don't hesitate to tell me. You can go to Facebook, go find Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, Z, says, S-A-Y-S, and shoot me a message or post on that page. Let me know what you'd like to hear. And until we get together again, my friends, I want to remind you that you have been zinked. Mm-hmm.